0: Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. Just got back from a week-long road trip. We were in Kingston, North Carolina, playing the Down East Wood Ducks, which is a, a Texas Rangers low affiliate. It's very hot. I had some good local food. Definitely got a nice farmer's tan at the park because every day it was uh, blazing, sunny out, which was nice to see. But, uh, man, it was hot down there. When I first got to um, to the ballpark on the first day, I I recognized a coach, um, Turtle Thomas. And so I went up and introduced myself. I've, I've always been drawn to older coaches. I just think you just, you can't Google experience in this game or life for that matter. And I knew, I knew Turtle had spent a lot more time coaching than I have. So I, I wanted uh, to talk to him and we, we started talking and I was like, man, I got to get this guy on the podcast. So uh, today's episode is with, um, the legend himself, Turtle Thomas. Turtle has spent over 39 years coaching college baseball. He's been at Arizona State, LSU, Miami, Florida, Georgia Tech, Clemson. He's, for the past six years, he's been with the Texas Rangers organization. First, starting out as a roving hitting instructor, and now he's a roving catching instructor. And I saw him work firsthand with the, with the catchers um, for the Wood Ducks, and he. Did a great job. You could tell he knew what he was doing. Resonated with the players. So I'm uh, very excited to to be able to get him on the podcast and, and pick his brain about catching, coaching in general, uh, differences between pro and college baseball. You know what he wants to be remembered for, and and lastly, which I think is is really important, is uh, the advice he gives to young coaches like myself. Like I'm sure others are out there who are going to be listening to this. So very beneficial episode, whether you're a a coach with experience, a young coach, parent or a player. Um, this is going to be a good episode and I hope you enjoy it. So ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Turtle Thomas. All right, we now welcome on Turtle Thomas. Turtle, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me, and uh, I know you guys kind of had a long trip back last night and everything like that, so you're probably on a little bit of short sleep yourself.
0: <laughs> and there, there's no better way to spend the off day than than to talk with someone like yourself who has been in this game for so many years and has has been able to impact so many players in in a positive way. I know we we spoke at the field a little bit, and you said you coached college baseball for 39 years. Now you've been in professional baseball. Is there one you prefer over the other, or is it about the same?
1: You know, one of the things that we like to do is that if we can have good catchers, good players to work with, it doesn't matter what level it is. We always enjoy it. I think the great thing about pro baseball, number one, you don't have a thousand different rules. You don't have a thousand different meetings all the time like you do in college. And the four-hour window at the most on any day really seems like it goes by very quick. So, you know, there's not as much of a time uh, table, so to speak, in pro baseball. And like I know in the Dominican, when I go down there, I mean, the whole game that starts at 1030 in the morning, you know, the manager will give me two, three, four catchers. And uh, I tell him we're going to CG a complete game. So he kind of laughs when we do that. But for sure, for sure, three hours we're out there with him.
0: What you were, you were known though in college for being just one of the best, if not the best recruiter in the country for so many years. What made you such a good recruiter?
1: Well, I don't know if I really was or not, but the, the key word there, I think is perseverance. I mean, you're willing to go out there in the summer and go to like a perfect game event or area code games or something like that. And you'll sit there from seven, seven thirty in the morning. And literally sometimes you have a rain delay and it will be two o'clock in the morning. Wow. I can remember Atlanta. Now you're going to laugh at this one, but I can remember Atlanta at Lake point um a game got delayed you know due to rain and everything and they were able to play a couple other games along the way but the sun was coming up as that game ended <laughs> oh. and uh it was a little tough the next day to stay focused you know when you really <laughs> didn't get any sleep the night before but uh it just really perseverance as much as anything
0: When you just started getting your coaching career going, I mean, did you want to be a college coach like when you just got started out, or did you envision professional baseball? Like, what was your vision when you just started coaching?
1: You know, because I played college baseball like, you know, many others, I guess that was really the dream at the time because honestly, I wasn't that great of a player and did not play professional baseball. So, um, you know, that was really the dream as college, but as time went along, you know, you could see the differences between college baseball and pro baseball. And it really ended up where professional baseball was what we were looking for. And, you know, it's, it's really enjoyable to go to the field every day versus in college, you know, you got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and maybe a Tuesday game, if not, you know, three, maybe four games a week. So, Pro baseball to me is a lot more fun, and you get a lot more done training-wise and work-wise with the players.
0: What's one of the things that I think is is so unique about being able to have you on the podcast is is so is all your experience in hitting and catching and and just everything you've been able to do. And I was able to watch some of the the content that I've seen online from you as a um, catching coach, and some of the things you've said what makes what what critiques do you have that you you often see from young catchers like what are a few things that you see from a lot of different young catchers if they would improve would make them a lot better
1: one of the things you know mentally and just inside of you you got to really want to be a catcher because you're catching so many sides so many bullpens every day Um, you know, you got a lot of extra work that maybe others don't have like in blocking and throwing and stuff like that and catching pitches off the machine, you know, just over and over every day. And really there's more physical work in catching, you know, every day than there is any other position. So you got to really want to do it and got to really love it. Now, physically, I think number one, you've got to have great hands and great feet, um, you know, catchers blocking and throwing the feet and the quickness of the feet has so much to do with being, you know, successful. And then obviously having good hands and, you know, it's just like an infielder when they are really good, they hardly ever drop a baseball out there as they're fielding ground ball after ground ball. And same thing with catchers. When you've got good hands, you'll catch in the pocket consistently and not really have drops or you know, catching it in the wrong part of your mitt and things like that. So I think those are some of the things that makes catchers good from a mental and a physical standpoint.
0: I really liked one of the things that I heard you say on on a video online where you were talking about how to improve a catcher's pop time. And what you said was the number one thing is anticipation, like anticipating that you're going to have to get ready to throw the ball. I thought, it's so simple, and and so many people would would think think of that, but you often you don't really hear too much of that when you hear of how to improve your pop time. It's like anticipating.
1: You know, it's funny the the word "anticipate" in baseball is one of the key words because just like an infielder anticipating an inside pitch being hit somewhere in the infield or an outside pitch being hit someplace or a ball in the middle of the plate, an outfielder ready to go cause he knows the ball might be hit for a double or close to the wall. And just like in hitting too, you know, you anticipate, maybe not guess, but you anticipate certain locations and certain pitches and even certain speeds. So as a catcher, to me, the number one thing in being able to throw, you know, runners out is moving and anticipating him running and really getting your body in position as much as you possibly can literally before you catch the baseball. So the word anticipate and moving ahead of time as the ball enters, you know, the dirt circle, which is, you know, 13 feet in front of the back point of the plate is such a key for being successful in throwing people out.
0: What about uh, going out when you're catching the ball? I, I also saw you You mentioned a few times how you want to let it get close to your chest, which I thought was contrary to wanting to go out and get it so you steal a strike.
1: Well, I think here's what happens. We do extend as we receive most every pitch, whether it be you know low, inside, outside, high, whatever it might be. We try to get to extension because about 80% of all balls and strikes called by the umpire are as the ball penetrates the front edge of the plate. The other 20% are more on like high breaking balls, front door, back door breaking balls, where you're catching the ball back deeper, closer to your chest to let the ball in the spin get back over the plate. So really what you may have heard was really catching more like break, you know, higher breaking balls, so to speak. But when we catch a fastball changeup, and most breaking balls, we're going to catch them as we extend closer to the front edge of the plate. Okay. Okay. I understand. I understand.
0: How do you – how are you able to juggle, especially like during a a professional season, like making sure that – the, the guy's volume isn't too high on a, on a day-to-day basis because catching is such a tough position fit from a physical standpoint. How do you make sure, like, when you're working with guys before the game, like it's, it's not too much to the point where it's, they're going to be exhausted by the fifth or sixth inning?
1: You know, you have a great point there, and you've got to really use your intuition and, and be smart about what you're doing because you're right. You can wear them out. I mean, normally speaking, a minor league season is about 140 games under normal circumstances, and, you know, you do wear them down, especially you get to those hot months like July and August and things like that. For the starting catcher, we try to go about 15 or 20 minutes, and it's probably more about receiving, footwork for throwing, uh, maybe some dry blocks and everything like that. But when the guy's not catching that day, and maybe he's catching a few sides and everything like that, we try to ramp up the intensity a little bit and ramp up the amount of time that we work with them. And it's probably closer to 30, 35 minutes on those particular days. Um, if a guy might not be catching for a couple of days, we're going to try to get them out there and you know make three, four, five throws to each base to make sure they're continuing to work to strengthen their arm. See, one of the things I always tell our guys is that, you know, like yesterday, you know, we we're in low A. So we've got advanced A, double AA, A, triple A to the big leagues. You got four levels before you become a big league player. So we've got a long way to go, and we need to really put the work ethic in because those guys are supermen in the big leagues that are so good and so talented, and we're not there yet. So we've got to really – you know, have a great work ethic to try to get them there. You know, over a period of the next few years.
0: What what differences do you see from catchers in low A to high A to double A, for example? Because I'm sure there's some differences, and, and maybe there maybe the, some of the the guys in the lower levels of the minor leagues aren't as far away as maybe sometimes they think. But there's definitely some some clear areas of improvement.
1: No question. You know, to me, there's such a world of difference between a low-A catcher and a double-A catcher. I mean, when you get up, when you're getting closer to double-A and triple-A, game calling and, you know, scouting reports and things like that become even more paramount, even more important. So the mental part of being able to call a game effectively is really important as you get to the higher levels and the scouting reports get a lot longer and more detailed. Um, But I think a lot of times as you move through the organization, you're cleaning up some of the extra movements that you have. Maybe your footwork's a little bit too long. Maybe it's not in the right direction, so to speak. Maybe you go to your left a little bit too much. So I think you're cleaning some things up and becoming more compact in what you're doing. Therefore, the time that you do it, you're cutting off hundreds of seconds to try to make you a little bit better.
0: One of one of the things that I have often thought about for young catchers and developing them, and, and Turtle, you would know this better than me, would be especially at when kids are in high school, for example, or even maybe college too. I don't know. You would know this better than me. Would it be better for for their own development if they got to call their own game at such a young age, And so they could really learn what it's like to call pitches, to game plan against certain hitters for, instead of just like getting a sign from a coach or whatever, putting it down. And then before you know it, they're at, you know, playing in a, in college baseball or maybe professional baseball, and they've never experienced it on their own yet.
1: Well, I tell you what, you hit the nail on the proverbial head right there with that question, you know, I don't know that so much in high school, so to speak. Maybe, you know, there's certain catchers that have that that intuition and that 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 thought process <clears throat> of being able to call a game effectively at a young age. And you, as a coach, figure that out as the games go by and the guys putting the fingers down. Well, <clears throat> but what you know, I think in college, especially. You want to try to let that catcher, once he gets to a sophomore year, put the fingers down for himself and learn for himself, and I think definitely in professional baseball. Now, maybe early on in the Dominican and and like Arizona, you know, Summer League and things like that, I think a pitching coach calling it for the first few weeks and the catcher thinking along with him – might be effective for him, but I think you got to let him get out on his own and call his own pitches and make his own mistakes as he goes through things. Do you
0: think that in college that doesn't happen as often? Because and you you were in, in college a long time. It's because that their college coaches' livelihoods a lot of times are based off of wins and losses, so they want to control the game.
1: No doubt. I mean, you see every year coaching change being made and it's you know it's almost always because of lack of winning enough games or not winning enough conference games and things like that so I think for sure you know like a 40 year old pitching coach might have a better plan or a better idea than say an 18 19 20 year old catcher Uh, but I still think at some point you got to let him get out on his own and we used to like when the game was going along and felt like we were in a good spot in the game, we would just point at the catcher and, hey, you got it the rest of the way. So Mm -hmm. he, little by little, started to take over, you know, being able to call the game, you know, successfully to win baseball games.
0: I understand Uh, that. Yeah, I I definitely believe that, as you alluded to right there, that being able to get – Catchers by the time they're in college, you know, especially by the time they're a sophomore or junior to get them to call their own game is is crucial for their own development. And I like that idea of, of you maybe starting the game out calling the pitches and then after a while just handing over the uh, the, the title to them and then let them go for it. Um, I think that's pretty, pretty cool. You've done some hitting in the past with the Rangers. I know you're doing catching now. Um, Do you miss being a hitting rover, hitting instructor, too? Because I know you know a lot about hitting. You coached hitting for a really long time, and and we're very good at it. So do you miss that at all?
1: Well, it's funny. I thought when I came into professional baseball, I I was, you know, everybody's kind of known for something. Uh, Maybe they're the really good infield coach or a good base running guy or good, at, you know, teaching guys to get jumps on stolen bases and things like that. And coming along, you know, the two things I always did in college was hitting and catching. And I always thought, you know, if I did move to pro baseball, it would be hitting. And yes, I do miss it. And I can't tell you how many times we sit there, um, you know, with a low A hitting coach and give them a few ideas and, you know, sometimes guys can't see the forest for the trees, you know, even though our guys are really good at what they're doing. But maybe this one guy has some technique or something that might be holding them back. It might be they tend to swing at too many bad pitches with two strikes, which our catcher yesterday, Cody Freeman, that's the one thing he needs to get better on, and, you know, and um, being more successful as a hitter. It's just, you know, trying not to chase quite so much with two strikes on him. <clears throat> but I do miss it some, but, you know, really have got into the catching in the last six years with the Rangers and really enjoy it and kind of know the ins and outs of, you know, what each catcher can do and what he needs to work on and things like that.
0: What advice would you give to a young coach who is is just starting out, whether it be college, high school, professional? I mean, just looking back at your own career, I mean, what, what advice would you give to them starting out in today's um, landscape of baseball?
1: You know, to me, number one, try to go and watch professional practices, good college teams practice. If you can get to know the coaches, you know, sit down for a couple hours, maybe an off day or something like that, and just ask questions, things that you might not be sure of things that, you know, you think you've got a plan of attack for it, but maybe in a way you don't. Or everybody in baseball knows something you don't know. Heck, it could be the garbage man out on the street that knows something about work, work ethic that you don't know. And to me, even, you know, going to baseball clinics, I think, is important. People don't know this story, but John Wooden the best college basketball coach of all time, he would speak at a clinic and he always requested to speak early in the day. And he would literally go in the back of the room and sit the rest of the day and listen to a high school coaches, two one two zone defense or something like that. And he would say, he always learned something from everybody's presentation at a clinic. And this was, you know, reputedly the best basketball coach of all time in college college basketball. So we all continue to learn, and the game, as we know, is ever-changing daily, weekly, monthly. I mean, as you know, just like in hitting and catching, things move very quickly and things change very quickly. We won't catch two years from now like we do today, most likely.
0: Where Where do you see catching going in the next two years?
1: You know, that's a, that's a very, very good question. I think there will end up being more analytics for throwing, more analytics for, you know, blocking pitches, things like that. Um, I'll give you a good one. You know, we always have a glove load downward when we call something down in the strike zone, and we try to time it moving upward, you know, to convert that low pitch into a strike. And the same thing with high pitches, we have a little bit of a glove load up to try to get over the top and roll that little finger over on high pitches. But I think one of the next things coming is if a guy's got in his heat map, in other words, inside, outside, he's got a lot of red, he's doing a good job on one side, a lot of blue on one side, he's not doing such a good job. I think glove loads, letting the glove drift to the left or right as the ball's released can help anticipate and get a catcher to the point on the zone they're not good at in or out, you know, much more. So I think glove loads left and right, east and west may be one of the next things coming. Do you think
0: that there will be a point in time where the analytics and data is, is not helping players develop? It's just it's too much.
1: You know, it's a good question for some people as we both know some guys are just eat up with analytics i mean they they look at every number and every this and that every metric under the sun <clears throat> and it's important i mean cuz you you see like in catching sl plus like strikes looking above average is how you rate catchers and for every ball that you convert You know, that gives you certain numbers. Every ball you don't convert, then you get a negative number, you know, for that particular pitch. And to me, those are great for leaderboard things, and that's how we're all judged as catching coaches and coaches in general. Um, But sometimes analytics can be a little bit too much. I don't know that you teach a guy how to hit a breaking ball with analytics necessarily. Maybe you do a little bit, but, um, you know, there's there can be too much analytics sometimes. I going to give you a little story I think is pretty good. I, I told the guys the other day in low A uh, when we were in Fayetteville, you know, analytics and, and everything is great, but I gave them a story about Nolan Ryan. I told them, Nolan Ryan, okay, look. Nolan Ryan started 722 baseball games as the second most of all time. He pitched in 27 years in the big leagues. He struck out 5,714 batters, far and away number one. Um, he had 69 no-hitters, one-hitters, two-hitters, and three-hitters. So he has all these gaudy numbers in his resume. But little do people know, Nolan Ryan never had or never got or never won a Cy Young Award win. And that's amazing for Nolan Ryan. You just wouldn't know that on the outside. And one of the reasons he didn't was because he walked 2,795 guys and no other pitcher in Major League history walked more than 1,833, which was Steve Carlton in, in second place. So he led the league and walked six times. He also led the league 11 times in in strikeouts, but he never won a Cy Young because he ended up, you know, walking too many guys. Plus he was second all time in the most wild pitches. So analytics are great, but sometimes stories are a little bit better for players because they hear them better and they remember more than analytics.
0: Mm. I I actually didn't didn't know that Nolan and Ryan never won a Cy Young award either. That, so that that's uh, fascinating. Honestly, I'm surprised I didn't even I didn't know that. Shame on me. But I think you bring up an interesting point there of how stories and and the human brain like really resonates with stories and, and pictures and images. When you're talking to players as a coach, do you? try to consistently instill stories on a day-to-day basis to help them resonate with the message you're trying to get across?
1: You know, you're exactly right, because sometimes you can talk technique and mechanics to your blue in the face. And I always say sometimes the best players hear it the first or second time, and they are able to make adjustments uh, in their game. But sometimes – those guys are a little bit stubborn, a little bit hard headed, don't pick things up as quick. Sometimes a story resonates with them a lot more. So absolutely, if the if the situation is right, a good story uh or a good experience sometimes is a good way to explain it to your players. When when you were a
0: college coach, this this is something I've always wanted to ask a college coach. Do you think that talking to players immediately after the game is the best time to debrief or wait until the next day because they just got done with the game? There's a million other things that they want to do or think about, and so their mind isn't really on the coach talking for five to ten minutes. It's kind of on you know what just happened and what do i need to what do I need to do tonight for you know to go out or whatever?
1: <laughs> you know, as I said. Earlier, I think you hit the nail on the proverbial head here because you might tell them, uh, give them a minute or two, talk about something. But to be honest with you, to me, in college, now, I'm not in pro baseball, but in college, I think give them a little bit of a pregame scouting report, going over you know several important things from yesterday's game is the best way to do it because they're preparing for the, that day's game And after the game's over, you know, they've been out there X number of hours training, you know, before the game and then the game itself. And a guy might have had a good game or a bad game or, you know, kind of a neutral game, so to speak, an average game. And, you know, they hear you, some of them, but most of them don't hear you. So to me, in college, I think the next day is the best way to to go about it. Maybe in pro baseball, because it's every day you know, a couple of things from that day's game are good. And I always think hit the positive first, and then at the end of your conversation, you know, go over a couple of things that you might have been able to do a little bit better, you know, during that game. But when you accentuate the positive, they hear you much better. Yeah, I like,
0: I like the positive first. That's a very, very good point. Um, no doubt about it. I've been—I've always been—been been reading up uh, on you a little bit online, and you have a, a lot of former players, uh, major league baseball players, hitters who speak really highly of you and all the help that you gave them when they were in college. Why? Why do you think you were able to make such a, a strong connection with so many of those those hitters when they were in college, and then continued as they became major leaguers?
1: You know, good question for sure. Um, One thing that I believe is so important in coaching, whether it be hitters, catchers, whatever it might be, is a drill sequence that you can give them. And I I think you're looking to work with them individually. Like in college, instead of 20 hours per week, we would go 18 hours per week. And we would have a couple of extra hours that we could work with the players individually. And I think they appreciated that more than just using your full 20-hour practice week all with the team. So I think Mm -hmm. that was big. And we tried to narrow it down to certain drills that made them good or was important for them to be successful. And kind of each one of them had a little bit of a different package of drills that they work with, or they would, you know, do every day prior to practice. You know, they go to the cages before we'd start and they would do a certain series of, of drills and things like that that were really beneficial and really was pointed toward, you know, their weaknesses as a hitter. So I think things like that, you know, players appreciate and, I think one of the things we always tried to do, too, whether it was the 20th hitter on a college baseball team or whether it was your number one best guy, we tried to work equally with all of them. And I think they kind of appreciated that because it wasn't just working with your best, you know, eight or nine guys. You know, you're really trying to make every one of them better.
0: Well, it's interesting. You mentioned saving those two hours for one on one interactions with players because. One of the, the quotes that I saw was from Hall of Fame coach Skip Bertman, who said, you know, Turtle Thomas is the best coach I've ever seen in one-on-one situations. He was very effective working with our hitters and had a huge impact on our offense. So that, I mean, <laughs> literally backs up just what you said about working one-on-one with players, which I think that's a great idea for for coaches at all levels to be able to somehow – take out maybe a little less team practice time and, and put in some more one-on-one
1: time because the players are going to really appreciate that. Well, they do. And, you know, you're working with that one guy, you know, exactly on what he needs to work on, uh, trying to, you know, to me, you're almost like as a hitting coach, you're a little bit like an auto mechanic. You're a fix-it guy. And a guy swinging, as you know better than anybody, can come off track you know, from one at bat to the next, one day to the next, and you're constantly refixing it and trying to, you know, get it going in the right direction every day. So you know as much as anybody about about that for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. there's there's always work to be done on the hitting side, no, no question about it. If you could, as a coach, go back in your career, Turtle, what would you do if anything different?
1: You're you're gonna laugh at this one, but it was a coaching move. Um, one year I was coaching at the University of Miami for 12 years, and later went to LSU for seven years. But I had an opportunity a couple of years uh, before I went to LSU to go there when Skip Bertman was the head coach and everything like that and of course I worked under him as well but I had the opportunity to be the next head coach at LSU but to be honest with you I didn't know the power uh and the pull that Skip Burtman had you know in the University of LSU and to be able to make that decision so I stayed at Miami and to be honest with you, heck, I might be the head coach at LSU right now. And I think they're making about $1.2 or $1.4 million. So <laughs> a couple of dollars more than you make in pro baseball anyway.
0: <laughs> that's a great story. That's that's, I love that. What do you, which is the last question I have for you? What do you, what do you want to be known
1: for? Well, that's a good, that is a good question. Just to me. I don't really care for any accolades or anything like that, and I never have been, and really don't care about making. I mean, even though I just said that story. Uh, everybody like to make a million dollars a year, but you know, <laughs> don't really care that much about money or anything like that. I just I want to I want as many of the players we work with to make it to the big leagues and be successful and be able to stay there and make a great living for them and their families and things like that. That's really all I care about is I love to see when guys move through the organization and can make it. And you might've had a little, you know, a little help along the way to make them, you know, better in their career.
0: Turtle. I appreciate your time. Um, it was, it was really cool to see you working with your players over the past week, just from afar from, you know, right outside our locker room. And, um, you know you, it was very clear you knew what you were doing and and they were enjoying the work and in the interaction. so it was just it was really cool to see um to see that and so i but I appreciate your time. I know you're extremely busy you know being especially being a rover going from one city to the next. so very we are we're very appreciative of your time and um again, i hopefully we can we can meet again in person, um but i I really enjoyed our our interactions and I appreciate you coming on.
1: Well, thank you very much. And I really appreciate you having me and really enjoyed it very much.